Hello and welcome to Vibrant Basin. I'm your host, Shana Jones. I'm a folklorist, performance storyteller, and spoken word artist based right here in the beautiful Kootenai region of BC. Together, you and I will be diving into the stories of artists and cultural workers across the region. This season, I'll be asking guests how their artistic practice has shifted their understanding of themselves, their heritage, and their communities. Here in studio, we have Sarah Kapoor. Following a decade at the CBC, Sarah co-founded Pollinator Films, an independent production company based in Ontario. She has just launched her newest production company, the Thought Luck Corporation. Sarah Kapoor, welcome here today. Thank you. So lovely to talk with you. Oh my goodness gracious, I'm so grateful to have you here today. And I have been drawn to you personally, Sarah, and to your work for the last several years. And to this day, I'm still rather amazed by the impressive array of projects you have gotten to work on and things you've gotten to be involved in. And so I want to know the woman underneath it all. In your Mm. own words, can you describe for me and for all of us, what's at the heart of your artistic practice, Sarah? What's the why behind what you do? I want to make human interest utopias. I think too much of story traffics uh, on the neurochemistry of fear. And I'm not here for that. I think the world is scary enough. Being a human is uh, conflicted enough that when I go to story uh, or entertainment or inspiration, I want it to take me out of fight or flight and put me into rest and digest and contribute and inspire. So um, that's at the heart of my practice is that uh, it's really easy to um, get attention through things that are scary, that are negative, that are extreme. The entire internet is based on algorithms that reward extremism and I'm not, I'm not interested in contributing to that. I'm actually interested in creating something that's more difficult, uh, which is things that actually uh, use the pathways of love and of connection. So to that end, have you been able to create in that way historically, or is that the direction you want to take your work and you have projects coming up that you want that fulfills that intention? I think it's always been there. I really think it's always been there. Um, I I mean, I came up in news, right? So I have done the other for for sure. Um, and I think to some degree, it's why I, you know, left news media, um, even though I have an incredible appreciation for the role of journalism in the world. Um, we need we need that work uh, to tell, you know, a factual account of what is happening versus uh, the story version of it or the propaganda version of it, which is inescapable. They're always mixed. Um, but it's always been there as, as my driver. I have actually walked away and left opportunities because it was, um, you know, working with 
the worst of human nature to get attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then can you name for us a project that you have gotten to work on or that you will be working on that touches on love and laughter and, and the other things that are drawing you right now as opposed to that algorithm of fear? Mm. Um, well, I would say that uh, you know, my first movie, my first feature, The Bad Mother, uh, it was about, um, you know, a woman who was struggling to balance uh, home, life, family, and career. And Can I just a- interrupt yeah. you as a bad podcast host? Can you tell us the story that you're describing, The Bad Mother? Who is that story about, Sarah Kapoor? And in that movie, who produced and played the main role, just so that everybody's on the same page? Okay, okay, podcast host. <laughs> trying to be sly, trying to be stealth there. Um, I wrote, directed, and produced the movie, and I did star as the uh, lead. It is loosely based on my experience of probably my 30s, but very much the experience of uh, so many people in my cohort. So it's not uh, it's not a documentary. It is a um, it's a feature dramatic. It's it's fiction, but it was designed to reflect so many people's stories, and um, it's it was trying to find. Um, it was, it was using humor to tell a truth about what that uh, phase of life is like, where um, you're just torn between two different competing parts of yourself, and, and then how the main character finds a way forward that is neither, you know, neither perfect nor pretty nor a, a full solution. Um, and it was true to like, no, there's no perfect ending. You kind of muddle your way through. And you find, um, you find insight just in the doing. You, f- you find yourself in the doing. You don't find perfection. But I think by the end of it, um, the character moves from sort of an outcome-based approach to her life to a process-based approach. It's like she finally gets that it's, it's about the journey and not the destination. That makes so much sense. And that just perfectly leads me to an article that you've written for Today's Parent back in 2020, I think it was. It was was like the month. It came out maybe two weeks before everything shut down, before the pandemic. We didn't even know it was a thing. It wasn't even named at that time. Just wild. Just wild. But that, that article speaks, I've read it, and I believe it speaks to what you just mentioned about the main character in in your film, The Bad Mother, and this switch from outcome-based approach to life to process-based approach approach to life. And you have some really poignant words at the end of that article, and I would love for everybody to be able to hear what you have said. Could you read the last few lines of that article for all of us? Because I got a question for you. Sure. I've come to have a new view of the old adage, wherever you go, there you are. I think for me, it's wherever you go, there you become. In this season of life, one that I can sense is ending, I chose to be far from the crowd, choosing to cocoon versus expose en route to transformation. 
Time will tell what emerges from that choice. So, Sarah Kapoor, Mm. tell us what has emerged, what has time shown from your choice to cocoon versus Mm. expose Mm. over the last number of years? What has come out of that choice? Well, I think I can probably answer it in terms of family and in terms of profession. Um, and, you know, maybe in a future interview, 15 years out, I'll tell you how that choice affected my spirit. Um, I think choosing to be in Creston and the Kootenays during my 30s um, and 40s, uh, early 40s, is, it was difficult professionally. Um, I feel like I took a step back um, in order to be a more present parent and a more present daughter. I came here not just for my children. I came here also to, um, you know, serve my elders, my mom, my family. And the trade-off was career for sure. And that would have happened anyways, I think. But the combination of family plus being in a rural remote location made being a producer really difficult. Um, And I think it would have been difficult anyways, but the two of them together were like, there was no lack of clarity that there were things I couldn't do the way I had done them through my 20s. Um, I think on a family level, I have an intact family. Um, I feel like I have served my elders I feel like my kids are healthy and I think they've had a pretty decent childhood by being here. One that was a lot closer to my own childhood than I would have been able to give them in the city. We get along and I'm very grateful for that. Um, And I just don't know that I could have parented the same way if I'd been in the city. I don't think I could have. We have time, we have space, we have less competition. Um, We're not keeping up with the Joneses, which I think is the best thing about the Kootenays. One of the great things is that, uh, you you know, I was joking about being an iconoclast, but I think the Kootenays is just filled with people who get to march to the beat of their own drum in a way that's not possible elsewhere. I love that. Um, And I think professionally, I thought I would come out of this. So my kids are 10 and 15. I thought I would come out of this phase, um, really having to rejoin, um, my producing world a step back. I'm very happy to say as of this year, as I'm taking some major steps forward, the disadvantage that I thought it would be has not turned out to be the case. In fact, I think my, the way that I've done it only now. In fact, even in the movie, I I reflected what I thought it would be like, which is that at the end, uh, she has to take a step back uh, when she reenters a more traditional way of working. That has not been the case. I actually think by cocooning, I've come back to um, the world of production in a big way this year. I've come back with a clearer voice. And people seem to be 
lit up by that voice, by the clarity of that voice, by the differentiation of that voice, by the lack of jadedness in that voice. Um, so I, I think time is saying, yeah, that was okay. And then also too, I, I also feel like, so in uh, Hindu mythology, Indian mythology, there's a story of, um, there's a story of a royal couple that was actually in exile for 14 years and they were sent away from the kingdom and spent 14 years in exile. And then they, they came back to their rightful place after having gone through all sorts of dips and demons and valleys. And, and when they, they come back and uh, they are welcomed back, in fact, and the, the path back is lit with lights. And actually that's Diwali. Um, that whole festival is around that return. And, you know, my kid's 15 and I feel like I've done my 14 years of time in the forest. And uh, I have felt a real, I've felt a real welcoming and a sense of place uh, in my professional world this year, which has been very, very unexpected. It was not what I predicted. Wow. Wow. So I, so that I'm clear the cocooning you're talking about, I think what I'm hearing from you is yes, cocooning in 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 within the family as mother, showing up more fully there. But is it right to say that cocooning in the in Creston, where you're living now, that that's a part of the cocoon you're speaking of? And having been in Creston 14, 15 years now, however long your exile period. <laughs> am, I, am I right? <laughs> I have sort of the the kid years as my period of exile (laughs) (laughs) for 10 years now. Wow. But it sounds like this exile, as you're calling it, is bearing fruit. You're in the middle of witnessing the fruit that's bearing. Yeah. So, so you have used the language, um, digging into you and your mind a little bit. You've used the language of fermentation, this being a season of fermentation, summer of fermentation, I think you've said, is that related to cocooning? In Creston, or is this a different thing you're learning? No, it's like quite literally fermenting food. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell well, us more, Sarah Kapoor. <laughs> well, like, I'm sure we could find a, a wine metaphor <laughs> work, but um, no, I just I like, and and that's just it, right? So I got time to be that person. I got time to be like with the land, with the earth, like you know, like everybody here. We're all bonded by having a garden. Um, and I think that's part of the joy of this particular cocoon. Um, you can have like totally different politics than the neighbor to the left and the neighbor to the right, but you're all going to share zucchini. And I think (laughs) that is it. Like there was, Oh, I have to tell you this funny joke, um, with the grocery store. And this is a secondhand story, but I love it so much. Um, this, I guess out of towner was in the local grocery store and it's, you know, the summertime and they were buying a cucumber and the person behind them said, like, guess they don't have any friends. <laughs> so I just think that's a very Boston story. Like nobody should be buying a cucumber in the summer. <laughs> Something is very wrong. <laughs> if you have to buy a cucumber at the grocery store. Um, anyways, no, I just actually really, I, I have a big garden and that, that's something I've been able to cultivate. And I think that's been 
like as a metaphor, like just the patience to do that is part of um, the patience and commitment that one needs to do any big project. So if you're producing, as a producer, producing anything has a lot of crossover skills. So whether it's a garden or a film or a series, there's a lot of crossover skills. Um, paying close attention, watering every day, choosing, weeding, it's all the same stuff, just with different words and different languages. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I discovered that you could preserve and transform food through fermentation this year. And it felt like a miracle. Like it was like, oh my gosh, I have a whole new, like you can transform food through fire, through water, through air, and now through earth, through fermentation. And uh, so I just, uh, Michael Pollan has an amazing uh, series called Cooked on Netflix. I'm totally going to recommend watching it. And they have one whole episode on fermentation. Um, and I just figured it out. And so like everything I've grown this year, I have put in a jar and some brine on my counter and I'm making cold fire, you know, like it's bubbling and it's turning into like, I just absolutely tease my husband who like bought probiotics and I'm just like, you don't need probiotics. This is, like, just, this is what you got, you got three, three variations there. There's like 30 in my jar. So uh, <laughs> a lot of fun with that. And I just think, I just think this particular cocooning in the Kootenays has allowed me to learn and practice different alchemies, which I'm bringing to the next chapter of my professional life and my artistic practice. Oh my goodness gracious. So then, dear Sarah, mm. the alchemy that you have discovered and that you're practicing, um, and as it sounds like you emerge from the cocoon, can you, from that vantage point, speak to um, what you see in the filmmaking industry today and what you see other filmmakers who have chosen to cocoon themselves who, or, or who have chosen to live in rural spaces or in the Kootenai specifically, and as they dream or long about entering the filmmaking world, um, A, what do you, what does your what do your eyes see in the filmmaking world as it is today? And B, what words do you have for the rural filmmaker who wants to enter the filmmaking industry as it is today? Hmm. Okay. Filmmaking is brutal. It's a bad business. This is what I want to tell you, and it's what I want to tell everybody. <laughs> It's hierarchical, it's terrible hours, it's high risk. Um, it is, it's a, it's dumb. It's a dumb <laughs> I, I don't want to be, well, this is, you know, I'm here to be blunt a little bit and diplomatic. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I see a really unique opportunity for rural and remote filmmakers. So if you are making films the traditional way, it's very high risk. You're spending three to five years of your life making something that's completely custom for a market that is subjective, whether they will like it or not, and then has a six-month shelf life. Just, just think about that. Like, it's like for any product and service, um, 
that's so high risk. It's, it's effectively like being an athlete. It's like being an Olympian. You spend four years for three spots and there's all these things and all this competition that could knock you off that podium that could have you never make a chance, but you've given four years of your life training every day for a very, very slim chance of something that the value of which, if you even get it, is like, do you remember athletes past the moment of their thing, right? Can they monetize that Olympic gold past a certain date? So um, I, I think that I didn't know that. I think I, I was so idealistic uh, that I am, you know, thinking like an artist and an idealist before thinking like a business person that I really didn't understand how high risk this business is. So what I see as possible now, how high risk it is and how hard the business is. Like it's, it's 10, 16 hour days. It's, you know, it's just, it's very, very difficult. So what I think rural and remote filmmakers can do is they can actually, because of the lower cost of living, they can actually give themselves uh, a longer amount of time to come up with their vision. And here's what I would advise, and that I'm going forward in my own model. You have to, if you're going to spend three to five years on anything, you better come out of it with two assets. One, the high risk artistic output which is subjective that people may or may not like and that you may or may not make any money off of and which has a very short shelf life. You have to pair that with what is the other thing that I'm making alongside that is low risk. So if I ever have like a, like a 10, $12 million budget that I would do for a project that's rural and remote, I would actually, um, instead of renting location, I would buy the location I would, I would make it, I would construct it, use it for the project, thereby employing people and, and uh, serving them. And at the end of it, sell that or transform it into affordable housing so that at the end of the production, uh, you've got a piece of real estate asset and a film asset. So I think that is something, and this is something that I've just been coming up with as I really dive deep and like, okay, I know how to make a story work. I know why I'm telling the stories that I'm telling, but how is a, as a remote rural payment, what's the unique opportunity? The unique opportunity is that you could come out with two assets and that you could also, two or more, um, that mitigates the high risk and have a high quality of life while you're doing it because of the, the lower costs of living. This is my plan. This is the plan for the Thought Life Corporation. And it's, it's built on 20 years of seeing, working for a giant institution, then having my own independent production company and you know, learning firsthand how the machine works and being the boss of that. Um, so now I'm gonna leverage all of that to uh, mitigate the high risk with a lower risk aspect to all productions. This is, I'm, this is very business minded, but I, it, it has to be if you're, I, if you really, if I really want to be sustainable and continue doing this for another 20 years, I have had to figure that out. And that's what I'm really doing this year as I launch my, my next company. And that next company is that the Thought Luck Corporation. 
Yes. So can you tell us just a little bit more about this project? Um, it's actually a company, company that yes. I have that I just incorporated. So my my first company that I co-owned and co-founded, we ran for almost 12 years. Um, and we were on a project-to-project-to-project model. Um, I want ThoughtLock to be able to figure out the business side of it so that we can scale, so that we can do like five to seven, have five to seven things going um, versus one, finish one, go back to zero, do the next one, go back to zero. I've, I've been working in this business for 20 years and it's been do a project, finish it, do a project, finish it. So my, my next real necessary evolution is how do you scale? How do you do, you know, five or six things? So that's what ThoughtLock will do. Got it. Got it. And so I feel now inspired to ask you the Vibrant Basin podcast million dollar question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Sarah Kapoor, how has your artistic practice shaped, shattered, or simply shifted your understanding of yourself, your heritage, or your community? Mm. Well, I think the weight of having a voice that's in the world, I, I really... I carry that. That's very heavy for me. It's why I'm largely not on social media. I feel like I'm only doing this podcast because it's you, Shana Jones. It's, Thank you, uh, Sarah Kapoor. No, it's it's a big deal. I, I, I don't want to speak or proclaim or profess anything unnecessarily. I feel like we all talk too much nowadays and we put too much commentary out into the world. So I feel like I want to be very considered in what I make public. I'm not, a, I, I think my practice and maybe the cocooning, um, has made me maybe, you know, more reserved and more responsible. I would also say just that the ecosystem in which communication happens has just changed so dramatically in our lives. Um, I think I would rather speak less and be very clear on like the weight of what I'm putting into the world. And I think this cocoon may be allowed for that because there wasn't the pressure to like, uh, I gave myself permission to not be seen and heard. And I think that has made me very clear on what I want to be seen and heard for. And and not panicky about being quiet. I think there's just so much like pressure to respond to every single thing that's every single current affair that's happening. I have to say something about that. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to actually voice your opinion on everything. 
And when you do, it should, it should really matter. So I think maybe that's what's shifting is um, my confidence of when to use and not use my voice. That's shifting. That's evolving. I hope that answers your question. It's a good question. It made me think. Mm, good. Good. And I'm glad that we get to hear you think. Now, there might be, we're, there might be seeds of the answer to this question in some of the things you've told us earlier. But would you dare to venture to speak to what it is you want your voice to speak out into the world? What, what, what are you willing to speak to? Hmm. I know that I want to make things that make people want to live. <laughs> I really want to speak to the creation of that which is life-affirming. Uh, I, you know, I could get your attention by saying something scary or frightening or negative or extreme, but I don't want to have your attention for that. And in fact, if I do that, I'm very clear that if I did that, you'd have to have five positive things happen to you to cancel out one negative. That form is like, it's sort of well-known for every, like the negative carries such a, it just, it's fast. It'll grow the neural pathway faster. So I want to be in the long, slow business of, of I, I'm okay with doing five times more work to cancel out the weight of the one negative. I think it's this ratio. It's just sort of like, it's not the easy road. It's slow and repetitive. And I just, I just feel like our landscape and most media when I say it traffics in the neurochemistry of fear, it's just because it's easy. It's so much easier to capture one's attention by being extreme, by being threatening, by being scary. And I feel like there's just not enough content. Like basically, this is my, my core statement right now. It's like, we have to create some utopias because otherwise, if all of our storytelling is dystopian, our mirror neurons are going to actually have that be reality. So I want, I'm, I'm putting myself in the camp of creating models and stories and things that our mirror neurons would actually help make our realities better. That's what I want to give a voice to. I want to give a voice to, maybe this is what it is. I think there's some responsibility for storytellers to think about what are they creating in the world? Like, is this really helping make the world not even a better place, just a livable place, right? I, I care about what I, I'm as, I'm as fastidious about what I watch and listen to as I am the food that I consume. 
it's it changes your chemistry. So I would like to, if my stories are, you know, probiotic vitamins, I, I want them to be, I want them to be good for you. I, I want you to feel better ha after having engaged with something I made or engaging with me or engaging with anyone who's part of Thought Luck. I want you to feel enriched by engaging with my content, with me, with my company. Ah, uh, Sarah Kapoor, we need more of you in the world. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing um, your voice even that much, even just speaking to that, making us aware of that, even just in this context, I know is already one of those points in the five against the negative <laughs> that yeah. so many of us are facing. And um, so for myself and for others listening, if we want to stay close to some of this beauty or positive um, energy, neural pathway making work that you are doing, how can we stay close to you, Sarah? How can we find you? I like being not found. Uh -huh. I know. No, I'm. I'm. I'm actually planning to be more present uh, and more accessible. Um, it's not officially launched yet, but thoughtluck.com is a place where you'll be able to see things about half a year from now. Um, SarahKapoor.ca is where you can see some of my past work. Um, these are these are. And it's it's rough right now, but it's uh, getting close to polished. So I will uh, I will make an announcement of where you can know more about what I'm up to about half a year from now. Certainly in 2024. Um, yeah, I am emerging from my cocoon quite consciously. Um, so yeah, I, I I will be able to be much more found than I have been for the last uh, ten years for sure. Um, but it wasn't like nothing was happening. A lot was happening in that time. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's another thing too. It's like, just if people are quiet, um, just don't assume that, uh, don't assume that nothing's going on for a person. Sarah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for, thanks for making me articulate, um, what's been going on inside. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for saying yes to this. I mm. believe you when you say that you would not would have said no if it was not just the right circumstance. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Vibrant Basin podcast. I'm your host, Shana Jones. Vibrant Basin is produced by the West Kootenai Regional Arts Council. Thank you to our sound technician and editor, Carlo Alcos, and our producer, Kaylee Linz, with production support from Margaret Tessman and Natasha Smith. Thank you to the Government of Canada and United Way British Columbia for their support of this project. You can find all our episodes on your favourite podcast platform or the West Kootenai Regional Arts Council website. We'll be releasing a new episode for you every two weeks. Stay tuned and stay vibrant.